Matthew, Matthew in a month, and we are all the way up to Matthew chapter 24. So we're coming down the home stretch here, and as we're coming down the home stretch, as we're going to see in this text, Jesus is coming down the home stretch as well, as there is this building tension, conflict, anticipation of something about to happen. Something has to give. Um, remember Jesus in Matthew 23 has been at the and he's been bringing judgment and condemnation. And at the end of chapter 23 in verse 38, um, actually go to verse 37, where he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Now, this is a key verse, verse 38 of chapter 23. See, your house is left to you desolate. And here he is referring to the temple. This idea that Jesus has finally issued sort of this final judgment against Judaism and its leadership and its corrupt religion. He's, in a sense, shaking off the dust of his robes. And we know that Jesus never again returns to the temple. This is the last, this is his last appearance in his public ministry at the temple. And this is where chapter 24 picks up. Look at verse one. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Now that's some interesting language. Um, it could be, you know, again, we know that the, the second temple uh, Josephus describes it for us in his historical works, was this magnificent structure. I mean, it was a feat of modern engineering, ingenuity, and architecture. It was instigated by Herod the Great, and we know that this temple was an ongoing building project. It's like every time you, you, you go to Disney World, whenever that's going to happen again, actually next month, you there's always construction going on they're always adding to the show well this is what the temple was like it was this expansive massive for the ancient um world there was there was qu nothing quite like it it was so extravagant and multiple buildings made of giant stones and so on one hand the disciples could be just expressing some like tourist fascination like you go to new york city and say wow look at all these buildings but remember, the disciples had been to the temple many times before. And I think it's more likely that the disciples here are referring to Jesus's condemnation of that he is leaving this house desolate. And, and so, and they are, and they're saying, how could you talk about the temple in this way? What do you mean? And so look at verse two, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so here Jesus is predicting the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and with it the whole sacrificial system, the whole dead form of religious works. He's predicting that, and of course you can imagine how startling this would have been to the disciples. And this sets the context for the course of the next two chapters because Jesus takes them up to the Mount of Olives. Again, they're going to be overlooking and watching the temple as he's delivering this discourse. And the disciples, look at verse 3, said to him, they came up to him privately saying, Tell us, 
when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So for the disciples, this was one question. So in other words, they, they assumed that whenever it was that the, that the temple would be destroyed, um, that this would inaugurate the end of the age. And, that, and so they're asking Jesus, when is this going to be? When are, when are you going to come and destroy this temple? And when is all this going to happen? And this sets up Jesus' discourse here in Matthew 24. Now, let me just tell you, um, this is one of the most heavily debated, controversial passages in all of the New Testament. There's so many interpretation. Um, tomes of ink have been spilled speculating about this. But we're going to clear it all up in about two minutes this morning. Actually, I think it's not understood a certain way. I think it's a fairly straightforward passage. And I think there's two parts of Jesus' discourse here as he's attempting to answer this question. It was one question of the disciples, but Jesus divides it into two questions. So the first one is, when is the temple going to be destroyed? What will be the sign? When is that going to happen? And then Jesus is going to be, make very clear that there is indeed a second part to this question, the coming and the end of the age, and that those two things are going to be two separate events. And so, so that in itself, Jesus is reframing their question. Again, some people see the whole discourse here, um, and this would be what we would call a preterist view. They would see this whole discourse as simply talking about the destruction of the temple, and that the second coming um, that we that Jesus mentions about himself here happens when he comes uh, and destroys the temple uh, through the Roman army in 70 A.D. So there's there's some that are in that camp. Uh, I'm not in that camp. I think part of this relates to the t destruction of the temple, but not all of it. There's others who look at this entirely futuristically. Okay. Um, that he is speaking about mainly events at the end of the age. And again, I think there's some of that, but I don't think it's exclusive either. I think it's, it's both and. And so the controversy that comes is what applies to the temple, what applies to his second coming. So, so following um, R.T. France's structure of this passage, here, here's how I think it breaks down. I think in verses 5 through, and you can look at your Bible if you have it with you, um, through 35, this speaks about the temple, the destruction of the temple. And that 36 on describes the second coming. Now, sometimes the language is so similar in both that it's, it, it's a challenge to parse out. But I, let me point out a couple of things that I think would help us understand this. First of all, um, when, when Jesus predicts, and let's, we're looking now at verses 5 through, through 35, when Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, this is no small thing, okay? This is not merely the walls came tumbling down like in Jericho. This is, in fact, I mean, remember, the temple was the center of Jewish religious life. I mean, it was the epicenter. It was their Mecca. Um, it was holy ground. And so for Jesus to say that the temple is going to be destroyed, I mean, this was the equivalent 
of the Old Testament prophets saying that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the people of God um, carried off into captivity. So this was stark. It was striking. It also um, went a, totally against the grain of what the Jewish people were expecting. Because here, remember, the messianic fervor was rising and rising and rising. And the, this temple that Herod had built for them was this massive monumental structure. And everything seemed to be building for the end of the age to come and the Messiah to come. Sound familiar? And this is why when Jesus came saying, my kingdom is not of this world, I came to be a servant and and I'm establishing a king, a kingdom where, where, the, where the first will be last and the last will be first. You can see just how this blew everybody's gasket, everybody's mind, and, and why so many, the vast majority, rejected Jesus. And so Jesus here is saying, one day I'm going to come in judgment. And this is going to be um, a, a decisive judgment against organized Judaism and in that day and age. And if you look down at verse 34, okay, I think he gives us a clue that this whole section pertains to this visit to Jerusalem in 70 AD. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And so I think it's, it's very clear at this generation, he's speaking about the disciples um, generation. Now we're People have a little debate, huh, a little. If you look back at verses 29 through 31, and, and the title of this might be the coming of the Son of Man in your Bible, some people look at this and say, well, that seems to be describing the second coming. And so this gets confusing because it's in the middle of this discourse about Jerusalem. Well, I, I think if you just remember that much of the Old Testament is written, written in apocalyptic literature. And what Jesus is doing, he's applying that apocalyptic imagery um, to this event in Jerusalem and in a sense what he's saying is um, there is going to be a final judgment one day when the Son of Man will come in power but but before that okay there's going to be wars and rumors of wars there's going to be cataclysmic events that are as Paul would say the birth pains right of of the end of the world and, and that everyone is in anticipation, okay, of the final coming um, of the Son of Man. And so that's, that's important to realize, okay, because as Jesus turns his attention now in verse 36 to when that day will come, when will the final day be, we have to know that obviously every generation has always asked, is it our generation? Is it going to be, is it, is it in our time? And of course, you see this now with all the COVID um, stuff happening. And is this mean the appearance of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and, and all those sorts of things? And the reality is, we don't know. And we ought not to speculate about whether it to be so. And, and, and here's why. Because look, look at this is, this is a fascinating verse. Look at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of earth, now listen, nor the Son, but the Father only. Well, that's a fascinating verse, and, and again, not to parse out Trinitarian theology this morning, but Jesus is saying, as in his humanity, not even he knows, 
okay, when that day will be. Only the Father knows. And, and I think that Jesus is not using hyperbole here. He, he's making a point to say, this is part of the, the, the secret counsel of the will of the Father. Because remember, even though Jesus and God are equal, one substance um, of the same essence, one being with the Holy Spirit, there's also a functional subordination of Jesus to the Father. We hear Jesus saying over and over, I came to do the will of my Father, not my will. I, um, I'm, I'm not, not my will, Lord, but your will. So we see this kind of happening, uh, this theme that Jesus uh, functions at the will and behest of his Father. And I think that's what he's getting at here. And, and so I think there, there, there's two primary points, and this is important for us, particularly um, in times and seasons where we all uh, anticipate or assume that this has got to be the end. Things can't get worse. We're, we're on the precipice, okay? The first thing that Jesus tells us in this text is don't speculate. Don't speculate. Don't conjecture. Um, don't spend endless, fruitless hours attempting to figure these things out. Because he tells us in this section, when he comes, it will be sudden. It will be unexpected. Again, Paul tells us, like a thief in the night. While there are certain conditions and signs related to the gospel and the end of the age that, that seemingly have to take place first, still, the nature of this is we don't have God figured out. We don't have the time of his appearing figured out. And so we don't want to conjecture, speculate. I cannot tell you how many times, and, and for those of you who were alive then, back in the 70s when, when this eschatological fervor swept the country and the late great planet Earth and all these end time prophecy books that we are living in the last days and Jesus is coming in our lifetime. And um, a lot of those people who said that are now with the Lord. And we hoped it was true. But again, it shows the futility, okay, of focusing on that. So Jesus says, don't focus on that. Number two, here's the second point, be ready, okay? Be prepared. And the way you're prepared, and this is so hard for us, <laughs> is to be faithful. Just do what God has called you to do. Um, and he uses the analogy or the little parable, look in verse 45 of the, safe, the serpent. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So in other words, Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Focus on me. Worship me. Live your lives. Be faithful. But live your lives in light of the fact that I am coming again, that this is a certainty that this is that it may be a thousand years, it may be a thousand days, it may be a thousand seconds. And this is why the, the, the church always prays, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But Jesus said, you don't know when that is. And so live as if it's today. Live as if it's today. Um, leverage your lives, leverage your resources, leverage your time. Be faithful, right? Um, and when we say live as if it's today, we don't mean stockpiling our guns and ammunition and supplies and our precious metals so that we can, we can be ready when the apocalypse comes upon us, okay? I don't think that's what Jesus means. And not to, that's a whole other discussion. But I think what, what, what Jesus means is be ready, meaning be ready spiritually, be on mission, 
share the gospel, be faithful, do what God has called you to do, and, and live as, as if this is the last day of your life. Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to share your faith with? Uh, what conversations do you need to have? What, how do you need to be generous with your money, your time, your resources, and leave the results to me? This is, I think, what Jesus is saying. I think it's what his lesson is for us in this text. Now, when we're back here together on Monday um, in Matthew 25, Jesus is going to share um, two parables, okay, about what this will be like when he comes, okay, what's exactly going to happen at this final judgment. And that's where we're going to pick things up on Monday. But for this weekend, I want you to have a great weekend. Um, we're going to be worshiping again on Sunday in person. If you weren't there last week, um, we're going to be back at it. You can register for your, your seats online. Um, looking forward to a great Sunday in Peter, and we hope to see you there. But if you can't be there um, for health and other reasons, we totally understand. Um, but it's great being back worshiping together. Okay, let me pray for us, and we'll be done. Lord, we are thankful that we are not you and that we do not have to hold the world in our hands and that we do not have to try to govern and control everything. Rather, Lord, the world is in your hands and you've just simply called us to be your faithful servants, to leverage our lives, to be ready, um, to be expectant, but not to be speculative. And so, Lord, that's hard to do because we do want you to come. We want you to come today quickly, Lord Jesus, please. Um, but until you do, may we be found faithful on your mission. In Jesus' name we pray.